Canadian Family Health Counseling provides education and counseling services across Canada and beyond. Our holistic approach, called Neural Network Therapy, uses practical tools to boost mood, reduce anxiety, manage anger, break unwanted habits, and develop strong, healthy relationships. Sit back and relax while clinical director and founder Kim Sargent shares her insights and expertise on why emotional health matters. Hello, and welcome back to Emotional Health Matters. My name is Kim Sargent, and I'm the clinical director of Canadian Family Health Counseling. And it's been a little while since I popped on to do a podcast. Uh, I was thinking the other day, I was actually talking with somebody about podcasts, and I was explaining that I'm not really a podcaster. I just every once in a while sit down to a microphone and, and share some things or interview somebody on a subject I find interesting so that I can try to find a way to spread what I know about emotional health in an easy listening kind of format that people can plug into. And the person I was speaking with said, so you're a podcaster. <laughs> so I'm, I guess I'm going to accept that fate. Um, but something that, that happens for me is that I find that I'm sitting and thinking about things that I'd like to share. And, and it's all of a sudden become this thing where I think, yeah, I've got to sit down and tell you guys about this thing. So you become a, um, an audience to me and I want to share these things that are going on in my mind that I think might be helpful pieces of information to have and things that I'm working really, really hard at, um, at making um, happen in the school system. I'm really working towards trying to create curriculum so that in junior kindergarten and kindergarten, <laughs> senior kindergarten and grade one and two and all the way up, um, that we have this character named Parker uh, who can share interesting things about how to be able to navigate our emotional well-being. Um, I think if we learn these things in school, even if we didn't get them at home, even if it wasn't accessible for our parents to be able to, you know, kind of, yeah, know how to manage their very own emotions, that, that instead we'd be in a place where it's hard anyway. I mean, we all tend to be able to look after our own emotions if it's just us, um, maybe on our own, we can kind of do okay. Some of us do better than others. Um, and some of us, you know, do really well. And then the moment we go and try to connect with other people, that's where things really fall apart. And that's the part that I guess I think is really valuable. If we were in schools, the program I have called Grow Happy that I developed this, this game for, our, our game is called Mood Tag. It's all about how moods are contagious and if you're a human, you probably picked up on that. And so uh, years ago, we put together a cheesy little, little video um, and script about it. And we tried to talk about this enough, you know, so that families would understand. I mean, if you have a house packed full of teenagers, it doesn't take much for one person to walk into a room who's going up and down the emotional scale. <laughs> one minute they're angry, the next they're super happy, and then they might be really sad. Um, and if you're, if you're, not really knowing what's going on, you can really quickly mimic or mirror those emotions in a way that all of a sudden you find yourself caught in the very same places. So if each of us had some skill and ability to be able to manage the mood that we were in, uh, recognizing that it's contagious, whatever standpoint it's in, including being in a good space, it's not about each of these emotions being a bad thing. In fact, it's really just about, hey, I, you know, I'm in something right now and I'm sort of processing that and I'd like some skills to be able to work through it. I don't think any of us want to be stuck in uncomfortable uh, emotions. And I would say that, you know, probably most of us would say, yes, I'd like to be in a feel good place most of the time. I think that would be a fair, a fair guess. So 
the counseling practice really itself is all about using neural network therapy to do that, teaching about what's happening in the brain and what's going on specifically with yeah, the brain. You know, neuroscience is just it's just amazing. And it's got all these really great juicy tidbits that are pretty important to know if you want to be able to get unstuck from uncomfortable places. So that's my little mission. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a big one, but it's something I'm doing, you know, part-time. Um, in the meantime, uh, I'm actually working and, and some of you know that I've, I had a brain injury and what that did, um, oddly enough was, was actually just, it just turned up the volume on my emotions. So they became, became all of them became, really extra intense. And I would say that I probably already had relatively loud emotions and then they became really loud. So I had, um, you know, it, it felt terrible at the time when it first happened because I didn't know what was happening for one. And the other thing is I just didn't, I didn't know where to begin. It, you know, I was on the inside of this brain injury looking out and trying very hard to apply all the tools that I had and all the tools that we teach. Um, but you really always have to find your own person to give you, give you a hand working through some of these things when you're not feeling so good. Um, and I was contending with chronic pain, which I think has a huge impact, of course, on what's going on uh, with our emotional state. But in it, really, I had a great opportunity to be able to revisit a lot of the exercises we teach and the things we do and, and realize that, wow, okay, this is really putting things to the test. Um, so it was helpful, actually, in its way to go through and to polish up some of those exercises. We also just had a really great study done by Trent University. I took all of my neural network therapy exercises that we've developed over all of these years and the textbook from our emotional health practitioner program. And I, and I handed it over to Trent University to a fourth-year forensic student. I had applied um, to have a research um, study done on, on neural network therapy and its effectiveness, particularly compared to, we, we happened to pick cognitive behavioral therapy just because it's one of the big dogs, but uh, it could have been a lot of different things. So I just wanted to have some point of reference to say, how can we use the same research methods to investigate you know, the, the success of, of what's happening both during the counseling session, but for me, it was really more about after the counseling. So is this really sticking. Our, you know, our, uh, I, we've had great feedback over the years. We've been in practice now for 25 years. So obviously any of the things that didn't work well have long since, you know, kind of gone and, and, and what we have now for the material is pretty, pretty consistent. It's tried and true, but I'm, you know, I'm still in this thing. I'm pretty biased. I don't have a way of looking at this from the outside. And just because I'm fairly used to hearing people talk about how wonderful it is doesn't mean that it's necessarily working for everyone. So I was, I handed over, um, you know, all of this, you know, I can't remember how many thousand, um, you know, clients to be uh, accessed, to be able to be invited, I guess, to, to be interviewed for this research project. Um, they submit things um, anonymously, which allows them to be able to be, you know, fully honest, which is super important. All of these other, you know, whatever research methods. And I'm, I, I, that's another whole subject, but anyway, and it came back and it was, you know, the, the results were so outstanding. I was, it was just beyond anything I could have handled. I was, you know, at the end I was sort of trembling, going, oh, great, we're going to get this back. This is really it. I'm really actually going to find out what's happening. And I didn't know if I'd be jumping up and down and looking to publish these results or if I'd be going, yeah, let's just pretend we didn't do that. So I was super pleased. It was a really great experience. And I'm so happy to know that there's some lasting power, but I can't really take credit for it. The reality is it's lasting because it's studying the rhythms of nature. Uh, it's studying science, it's neuroscience. And so neuroscience tells us so much about what's going on in the brain and how these patterns are laid that it seems silly to do therapy any other way. I don't, 
I don't really know if it makes any sense at all, honestly. I know that there are lots of stages of things for sure. Sometimes it takes a while for people to get talking, and this is not just a talking but a doing approach. And you, you know, you got to step it up from there. But I mean, it's you know, everybody needs to find their fit, uh, both in a counselor and the approach that they use. And I'm just really glad to have one that I think has been been helpful for sure. On that note, I want to talk about emotional addictions because this has been rolling around in my brain an awful lot. And we talk about this in the practice every day. So it's a normal thing, but I realized I hadn't talked about this, I don't think, on the podcast. And I think this is pretty important to know. Um, A lot of times we think, and I'm going to give a strange analogy here, but a lot of times we think that when we're craving something really sugary and wonderful, that it's actually this cookie that we're craving, this, this bite of sugar that we're craving. And instead, actually, what we're craving is the is the surge of insulin that we get from consuming that cookie. And that's that sort of seems strange if you think about it. I mean, we're really, you know, we're these these chemical factories that are firing off on doing all of these, you know, really curious, amazing things. If you want to ever dig into it, it's just there's just a whole world sort of like I feel like it'd be like snorkeling, you know, there's just like, whoa, you, you don't know what's beneath the surface until you, you get your goggles on and get down there. Um, and so what happens with this, you know, this this association is that we begin to think, no, 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 I want the cookie. I want the ice cream. I want the whatever else it is that we might be craving. Um, and so we did disconnect from the the biochemical connection that we're having or, or the unraveling or the sort of chain of events, I guess, that are, are happening after we eat that cookie. And the same thing is true for our emotions. And so we tend to think that we get ourselves caught into, and it could actually be something specific like alcohol addiction, uh, which I've talked a bit about here. Um, we think that it's, you know, about the alcohol and, and which is also sugar, but, um, but really there's a whole cascade of emotions that we are hooked on. And, and while we think that, you know, um, well, we, we're not, typically very aware of that, um, they're pretty consistent. So um, in the example of going through uh, um, a whole cycle of of addiction around alcohol, for instance, um, you know, typically we're not feeling so good. We begin to crave, I want to feel better. That's genius. (laughs) Let's do that. And we reach for something that's going to make us feel better. We have alcohol. Alcohol shoots us up. We get to create, oh, okay, I'm feeling really great. That's why you see everybody's very talkative and really engaged and laughing and having a great time at the beginning of this alcohol thing. And then, of course, over time, it turns into a bit of a sloppy mess if you just keep going. And then people wake up. They're in a total state of despair. They feel utterly disconnected from the planet, um, very much alone, you know, sort of just awful. And then starts into, okay, now there's some, you know, I look up, wait, wait, who'd I call? What I do? What's the text? Oh, no. And you begin to kind of experience this shame, which is really consistent with with a a bad drinking cycle that continues to, to be part of it. And then we go into guilt. Hey, I knew better than that. I, you know, I did this thing and I knew better and I should have stopped it, you know, two or three, whatever it was. And yet here I went again and drank the bottle. And um, and then we go into fear and lots of anxiety around a, a drinking cycle. We get into this anxiousness and so on. And then finally we say, ah, oh, screw it. I don't want to feel like this anymore. And we feel really angry. And in that angry, whatever sort of phase of things, typically that's when we get back into the drinking. So the, the cycle actually is, it, all of those emotions are the flavors that were surging in a biochemical, you know, kind of like a a smorgasbord, I guess, that we're we're going through and we're repeating those same emotions again and again and again. So it's actually not the alcohol we're craving. It's all of these emotions that we're looking to take a ride on. So if you grew up in an emotionally volatile home, 
chances are that that when things are really calm and peaceful, you feel really weird. You don't you don't actually have a great sense of calm. You find a way to wh- whip something up, and that might be that you, um, you know, that your 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 family, you know, somebody in your family struggled with alcohol, and that's why all those emotions were there. But it could have just been all those emotions without the alcohol. Uh, it could have been a food addiction. It could have been um, a you know a sex addiction. It could have been a whole lot of things that, you know, people are kind of cycling through in terms of their emotions, but one way or another, it's the chaos itself that, and the, and the configuration of the chemistry it takes to go through those, those, that smorgasbord of emotions, um, that you're reaching for. So all of us have an emotional addiction, <laughs> every one of us. And, and I think that we would all again, agree, wouldn't it be great if I was addicted to being, we, we use the word appreciation rather than happy, happy kind of Happy's everywhere, and I love the word happy, but I do like the word appreciation because I think it means two things. I think it means the happy, happy, joy, joy kind of appreciation. I also think it's got that I can really appreciate where you're coming from, and I like that kind of appreciation too. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles, and it's not all you know as, as sparkly. But I do think that it's got a really great grounding sense of I can see myself in context. I can see how I feel, and I can respond to that. I also can see how you feel and how you're responding to that. And you know, when we bring those two things together, I think that we're in good shape for a really good conversation. Um, and so. I, you know, that, you know, appreciation and an addiction to appreciation would be fantastic because it would be one of these hardcore places that things just go well all the time. Your conversations go well. You can see things in context. You feel very much in control of what's happening. But most of us did not grow up in appreciation. And for that reason, we don't have the same thirst for it. Your brain has to have seen something before, known something before in order to bring more of its kind. Whatever it is that you feel is familiar is what it's going to seek out. And so as you begin to bump into other people, places and events, you find that you're connecting with people that are on that same emotional station or vibe that you grew up on. And most of us grew up on something different. I, I again, I, th- I feel super spoiled that I grew up in a very idealistic uh, household for the first number of years. Things turn chaotic later, but for the first number of years, and so I definitely have a strong, strong, strong thirst for appreciation in my life. I'm very altruistic. I, I struggle to get, you know, I don't, I don't go away from it for very long without finding my way back quite quickly. So thankfully, my emotional set point tends to, uh, you know, to be there. However, um, as I got into the field, I realized that that's not the case for everyone. I I somehow thought that was just the norm. And I think while we're all born in appreciation, we are spat out in appreciation and every cell of our body begins, you know, by thriving in appreciation. I think over time, most of us then learn to adapt to whatever that environment was that was around us. So for some of us, that's going to be an addiction to despair. If you had a parent that was very depressed or your home environment was pretty low ebb, that's where you're going to feel most comfy, cozy, and you will find a way to be able to go and and get more of that juice, that biochemical response that keeps you pumping out that particular configuration of emotions if it's something that was familiar to you. And the same is true for every other emotion. We use despair, shame, guilt, fear, anger, frustration, and appreciation. But you can use any of the emotions. I mean, those are just ones that we picked because they were highlights. And, you know, there's there's lots to choose from. A lot of people talk about the idea of following your bliss. We just took that off the map because we realized that, you know, some people were really going to great extremes to be in this, I'm going to be in a super positive space at all times. And, and that seems, that seems maybe a little bit scary, but, um, 
But in terms of the rest of the emotions, most of us can pick something that we go, yeah, you know, I hang out in guilt a fair bit. I find a way to be able to feel guilty about things quite a lot. And if I, if there's nothing really readily available, I'll make something up. I can do it. And as we start to work with people to find out what that addiction is, and most of you know what it is right off the hop, then it begins this job of being able to work through that and, and being able to be conscious about it in a way and that you can apply some practical tools to to changing what that set point is. One way or another, you're addicted to emotion. So that's that. I'll leave it at that. Lots to think about. I know I just rambled on, but that's what a podcast is and that's what I'm doing. So we'll talk to you next time. If you like what you've heard on today's podcast and want to learn more about our counseling and education services or to get involved with our Grow Happy Gardens Health and Happiness Worldwide Tour, visit our website at canadianfamilyhealth.ca because health and happiness begin with you.